welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Bonnie Beresford as part of our mini-series on L&D Impact. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice. Tell others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Bonnie, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. David, I'm delighted to be here talking about one of my favorite subjects, measurement. Brilliant. Well, uh, of course, this is a con- uh, continuation of a conversation that we've been having along with Kevin M. Yates and Laura Paramore, and one in which we dive deeper into business impact. So uh, maybe, Bonnie, we can kick off um, with a clear understanding of what we mean by business impact. That's a great way to start. And it's going to start, David, with with the term itself, business impact. Mm. The word business is what's important because we're talking about business metrics. Our business stakeholders want to know if we're affecting their business, their safety ratings, their call handle time, their sales volume, their profitability. And for me, getting at real business impact has always been about digging into the business data because that's more credible than a survey of a learner saying, how much did you think you improved? Mm -hmm. Because that's just somebody's opinion. And real business impact in my book is getting into the business data and showing how we have moved business metrics. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, they it's going to seem quite obvious question, but but I think that there's there's going to be some uh, some broader um, uh, responses rather than the obvious, uh, Bonnie. But, but but perhaps we can go into uh, why measuring business impact is so important. There are a number of reasons. First is is alignment, and I and I know that this ties in with the other conversations you've had with with my colleagues on the subject, mm. because measurement drives alignment. It's getting the business stakeholders to articulate what success looks like. What is the business goal? And then what performances do we need our learners to do to realize that goal? Mm -hmm. And until you start with that end in mind, that strategic goal, what what we're driving for, it's very difficult to build a good learning program. Yeah. So we start with the alignment, connecting the dots between the business goal, back to the performance that we want the individuals to do, back to then the training. Mm-hmm. And with that alignment and by articulating what good looks like and what the problem is we're really trying to solve, this alignment gets us to the second reason we want to do look at business impact, and that is to build better learning programs. Yeah. Because you can have them be much more focused when you've articulated what the learner has to do. Mm-hmm. I like to use the story of an Olympic swimmer. They've got a goal of winning Olympic gold. Mm-hmm. And they could just jump in the pool and go swim. But chances are they've done more than that. Mm. You might have decided, I am going to swim in the 200-meter freestyle, and I need to beat this time because this is what the competitors around the globe are, are swimming. To do that, making my doing my breadcrumbs backwards, connecting the dots back, I need to know how many strokes I'm taking per lap. I don't want to end up hitting the wall mid-arm because that's wasted effort. And how many breaths I need to take, because every time I take a breath, I'm slowing down because I'm I'm losing my aerodynamics in the water. 
Mm. So by what do I have to do to optimize my breaths and my strokes? Well, I have to get my working heart rate at a certain level. I have to get my conditioning and my range of motion to a certain level. And what do I have to do to do that? I have to get my resting heart rate at a certain level. I have to be able to bench press and stretch certain distances. And that goes back to my training regimen. Yeah. So I don't just jump in the pool and say, I want to win gold. I have to do a training regimen. But now I know what my training regimen needs to be. So as I do those things, I can expect improvement in my breaths, in my strokes, in my times, on my way to gold. Mm -hmm. So it's all connecting the dots. And that helps us build better training. Yeah. What I like about that analogy as well, Bonnie, because I, I mean, uh, first caveat that with uh, sometimes I don't think that uh, the sport analogies translate perfectly over to the corporate world because there is uh, a uh, a defined performance that you know the start and end of in sport that you usually for a very short amount of time where uh, the corporate world is uh, can be so much full of surprises. But what I do like about what you've just said there is that uh, that. Uh, anybody training to be an Olympic winner or, or or to win Olympic gold now could benefit from the experience of the people who've done it before and the coaches uh, that have experience of of getting people there. And I think that that's a lesson in corporate learning a lot of the time that we could uh, uh, heed because there are so many people that have trodden in those footsteps that have made the assimilations and achieved the peak performance that we are seeking because we operate within the same culture. You know, you always say it's the same swimming pool. Uh, um, to 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 build on that analogy, that that has such a massive impact on our success within any uh, anything that we're trying to achieve. Um, but as, but I suppose Bonnie, the there is uh, the the elephant in the room here is uh, I don't know how long you've worked in learning and development, but maybe you could uh, shed some light in uh, in a moment. But with my uh, nigh on 25 years of, uh, of, of working in the profession, 15 of those uh, in and running learning and development departments, I've known that there's there's a, a perennial problem. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost ubiquitous across the board uh, with actually measuring uh, business impact. So I wonder if you could uh, should sh shed some light on uh, on what you see as the common problems with measuring uh, business impacts in the past? Well, I, I'll first answer the part of how many years I spent in this. I won't give you an exact number, but <laughs> we're we are probably peers and colleagues in this in this yeah. journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. There there have been a lot of surveys, David, about why people aren't measuring. Mm. Um, a, a recent one. Um, asked, it was by Watershed, they said, well, how many people want to measure business impact? You know, do you want to? And it was some, it, it always is somewhere between 95 and 98% of learning leaders want to. Yeah. And then they ask, do you have the confidence and the ability to do it? And that number is, has been relatively stagnant under 20%. Mm. I think the last survey was 16%. So there is a desire to do it, but if there's this desire, why isn't anybody doing it? I think that's what gets in the way. Mm. And, and so thank goodness the survey and others by other well-known organizations have said, why aren't you measuring? The number one reason tends to be competing priorities. I've got other things to do. Okay, well, if that probably means you're not very good at measurement because, you know, if you're not good at something, you kind of put it off. Mm -hmm. um, but then the next reason is they don't know how. They don't know what to measure. They don't know how to measure. Mm. And then the, the next reason is they can't get data. 
Yeah. If you don't know what to measure, you're not going to be able to get the data. Mm. So I have really pushed the organizations I've worked with to figure out what to measure. Yeah. And and until you know what to measure, I've had people call and say, can you give me a list of KPIs? Well, yeah. In fact, there's a website. You can Google it. And there are all kinds of lists of KPIs. But do they apply to you, your organization, and your program? Mm -hmm. You know, there's some common learning ones like completion rates and student satisfaction. But when you get into the business impact measures, that's going to be custom to the organization. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I don't know whether uh, this is included within that, Bonnie, but uh, I see a, uh, a a common problem a lot of the time is that curriculums are designed and implemented and content suites are provided without any real consideration of how that is going to help people in the organisation. And so when the solution is so is designed and implemented without understanding what the impact is, then it's, then there's nothing. There's, I think that's that I've been on many courses uh, over the years uh, and uh, approached by many vendors who tell me that they will be able to help me to uh, recognize and measure the impact of these curriculums that were implemented without understanding the problems. And these these algorithms, uh, which take into account attendance and satisfaction and, and all of these things, um, would provide this magic number. But <laughs> you can see you shaking your head there. It's not it's not the case, is it? It isn't. And, and it, it gets back to that alignment up front. Mm. It's like, what, what performances? We have to be performance focused. Yeah. And the outcomes of the performance. And guess what? A level one score is not an outcome of my performance. No. It's the outcome of your training package. Mm. What, what's important is what I go and do with it when I'm back on the job. Yeah. That's what we want to know. Did my performance change? So we've got to have this laser focus on performance because that's what's going to drive the desired outcomes of our business partners. Mm. That's right. In, a, in an interesting conversation uh, that, uh, that that I was privy to with Guy Wallace and Nick Shackleton-Jones uh, and Gabrielle Mame from uh, from the New York Mayor's Office, um, I think it was Nick who said that, uh, that, um, that he'd seen that Kirkpatrick Level 1 had distorted people's perception into thinking that learning needed to be fun after with the with, with the old uh, uh what's the old quote what gets measured gets done um yeah. and if and if good reaction to the training is measured then it needs to be fun uh and if people are enjoying it and then giving it high scores then that contributes to the perception that it's successful the only thing that that doesn't help with right at the end is did it make a business impact and then, uh, then too many people in learning and development take a step back and say, well, you know, I don't really understand the context in which it's done, but this is where we need the learner to transfer this back to the workplace. We need uh, line managers to, to coach and support the, the workers. We need a learning culture. We need buy-in from the C-suite. And you've got all of these reasons. I, I say that's the planet align. Uh, you know, we need all the planets to align uh, for this fragile solution to make any dent in the universe. And, and I, you know, and this is what it goes back to, um, the, the very essence of this. 
Um, learning and development can be very expensive. It's expensive in terms of uh, the cost of, of uh, buying in solutions, uh, of taking the time to research and design internal solutions. It's costly in terms of taking people away from the work and then uh, um, delivering that um, systems. Uh, uh, technology systems are very expensive, um, but if, if they're not actually implemented to affect performance, then a lot of this is it's then it's going to be it's, expensive. Yeah, it's going to be expensive. I mean, one of my mantras is measure to prove, measure to improve. Because mm. if you had one of those expensive programs and you measured it and you found out it wasn't working, wouldn't you want to kill it? Yeah. But if you don't measure and you keep running it year after year, you're wasting resources. You're wasting mm. people's time away from the job. You're wasting trainer time. So so. You know, an important part of measuring is to improve, use it to improve, find out where it's working. If it's only working for new hires, don't make your veterans go through it. Yeah. If it's too advanced for new hires, do something different for them. Find yeah. out where it's working, where it's not, because you could be wasting money and people will say training is expensive and training that does no good is yeah. really expensive. Yeah. But if it's pulling its weight and delivering results... Nobody's going to complain about the cost. No, no, that's right. And I think that uh, that, that far too many uh, learning and development um, uh, leaders and teams get credit for implementing things, but aren't held to account to whether they work or not. Uh, you, you've only got to look at LinkedIn for the celebrations of we've just launched our X leadership program. We've just launched our X academy, uh, and there's a there's a huge hubbub. Um, but uh, but but you you see less. Uh, celebrations around this is what we achieved with X leadership program or X technology. And, and I think that's the ele another elephant in the room that learning and development get too much credit for the implementation of a new thing uh, inside their organizations and perhaps ne neither hold themselves to account or are held to account by their leaders to do the stuff that works because it takes a great deal more analysis uh, up front um, than, than perhaps the uh, the implementation. Um, you know, the, the hard work isn't in the um, the RFP and the uh, the selection of the technology and the vendor. It's in it making a, a planned demonstrable difference. But maybe that great, you know those those programs everybody is celebrating and throwing up balloons and everything for. Uh, my, my question in the back of my mind when I see that is, what's your measurement plan for this? Mm. And probably they don't have one or their 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 plan is we're going to launch by July 1st and we'll have 50% of the people enrolled by September 1st and so on. That's that's okay. That's part of your measurement plan. Mm. Sure, because you've got to measure the implementation. Mm. But what about the actual activation of it and the outcomes? And it would be Again, getting back to the alignment, what do you want? What do you want these leaders to do differently? Yeah. Leadership has always been a tricky one to measure because people say it's too squishy. Mm. But if it's too squishy, what do you want people to do? Yeah. I was working with a client on leadership development to measure it, and they wanted to know, well, how are we going to measure it? And I said, well, what, do you, what, what would success be? Mm. And we were having a stakeholder meeting. And they said, we want everybody to live the values. And I said, what would that look like? Yeah. How does it, what does it look like today? What would it look like tomorrow if they are? And they all looked at each other and could not articulate it. And they realized, oh my gosh, we're putting all these people through a program and we can't even articulate what good looks like when they come out. Yeah. 
So we spent the next four hours wrestling with what good would look like mm-hmm. and came up with a measurement plan for it. But oftentimes we don't think about it in those terms. We don't think of, we think, well, everybody knows what good leadership is mm-hmm. and how are we going to measure that? No, that's right. It's uh, four hours well spent at the beginning there because it would take a hell of a lot more than four hours to figure out whether that was a waste of money or not at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but which leads me on to the next For question. Sure. Uh, you know, that you know, I, I want to assure the, uh, the the listener here that this isn't all doom and gloom, but we do need to explore um, perhaps what, uh, what professionals usually get wrong uh, when it comes to attempting to measure impact, Bonnie. Well, briefly, I'll touch on the one um, measuring after the fact. Mm. Like, oh my gosh, the program's done oh i should justify my budget mm-hmm. and going back and trying to figure out what should i measure because you've missed the alignment opportunity yeah now you're trying to figure out well what might they be doing so put your measurement plan right up front with your with your design or even before you're designing because your measurement discussion your alignment discussion will guide what your performance objective should be mm-hmm. so aside from that when when they're actually doing the measurement um I always hear, and David, I, I, know, I know you've heard, well, there's other things. It wasn't the training. Yes, that's right. It was something else. And so you'll never be able to isolate the impact of training. Mm-hmm. So let's not try. So let's not even try. <laughs> and, you know, pharmaceutical companies, other laboratories, any science, engineering, mathematics field runs into the same problem. Mm. There's always something else because we don't live in a vacuum tube. There are always other influences. And guess what? Those other fields have figured out ways to isolate. Yeah. And for example, I, I work a lot with the automotive industry, and there's this common thinking that you, you know, if somebody's sales improve, it's because we just had a product launch or we had great financing or interest rates are low. Mm. It can't be the training. And my response is. David went through the training and Bonnie did not. Mm-hmm. And before training, well, you know, David, your sales, you, you, before training, we we both sold five units a month. I'm just making this up. Mm-hmm. And after training, you sold eight and I still sold five. Now, do you have different advertising? Do you get different finance rates for your customers than I get for mine? Mm-hmm. Are the interest rates for you different than they are for me? No, we're in the same environment. Mm-hmm. So we look at all those things that are common and see that that's and, and if we can do test and control groups, like a clinical drug trial, mm-hmm. we can start segmenting and isolating and starting to to um, to isolate those factors. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, the science I like to follow is that uh, of a clinical drug trial, which is making a causal argument. Yeah. And there are three requirements. One is the cause precedes the effect. You were trained before your sales went up. If if you if you if sales went up and then you got trained, uh, duh, it's not going to be the training. Yeah. Uh, the second is that there is a correlation, that they travel together. Mm-hmm. And the third one, which is the hard one, is to rule out all other plausible alternatives. So that is the tricky one. But that then takes two things. Mm-hmm. The first thing it takes is a logic model, which is like our swimmer. It's that connecting the dots. If this, then this. So if David. Uh, if his resting heart rate is this and his working heart rate is that and his number of strokes are this, his time should be good mm-hmm. in the pool. So that's that causal, that's that logic model. So yeah. we build one of those out 
for your learning, that if you go through the training and if you have this number of cold calls and if you make this number of presentations and so on and so on, your sales should go up. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these leading indicators. So that's your logic model. Mm-hmm. And then you need a good research design, which is how are you going to attribute for those other things, which is a very common and powerful way is this idea of a test and control group. Mm-hmm which you naturally have occurring in your workplace. Because very often organizations don't want to set up their training as a laboratory experiment. Mm. But they're always going to have some people who have been trained and some who haven't. That's right. Because you can't train everybody today. Mm -hmm. So that's why we call it observational study. You do it with the data you have. Mm. And we're looking for evidence. We're not looking for 100% proof. Yeah. And and what you're saying there is that, you know, it's the... um... Uh, the fundamentals of performance consulting as well. If you're consulting on performance at the outset, then you're getting everything out on the table. You're not just pulling out what might be uh, the knowledge and skills element for which you in training can uh, can, uh, can consider you can make an impact because that's your, your field, but you'll get everything out on the table, but you'll be saying to your stakeholder, oh, that's that seems like that's communication that, you know, unless you need help with the communication on how to do it, you know, that that's you taking that on. That there sounds like a system issue. There's inefficiencies exactly. in your system. You've got people doing things that technology should be doing in, in 2023. Uh, you know, so so a, a confident and experienced performance consultant will will be pulling that out. will be will be recognizing that they're in a partnership with the stakeholder and then uh, um, make it, look, seeking to make an impact on the the knowledge and skills uh, part of that, recognizing that 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 they don't have to do that all on their own. But if you haven't got it all out on the table before you go, then you can pretty much guarantee that you won't be covering enough in the training. So then we get back to what we were talking about at the outset. You're either providing learning or delivering training in the hope that something will <laughs> stick. And there must be good in that, <laughs> you know, which which which, of course, is 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 not particularly professional um, in any field. Uh, I think what we've talked about so far and I like what you've just said there about uh, uh, being a, considering it like a science experiment. You will always have people go through um, uh, uh, a learning experience before others uh, and then an observational study to see whether it's making an impact at all. And, I, and what I like as well is like an iterative approach, not thinking if we as if we eliminate in our thinking that any kind of one and done is going to have a, a, a good enough impact, then then everything's iterative and not just blended, uh, but but a way of um, understanding what's not working. Uh, designing something that will help us to achieve the desired level of performance and then working towards that desired level of performance, perhaps over time, looking for those indicators that the first thing that we tried had a positive impact. Uh, and if you know, do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Exactly, exactly. And, and you're right, part of that part of that alignment conversation, all of those other influencers come out on the table. Mm. Um, and they will say, well, you know, we, we're implementing a new system, and it's going slowly, and we're having all kinds of trouble. Or, you know, region A has a great vice president, region B doesn't. So mm. I think that region A will do better than region yeah. B. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look at it. Because if it is a fact that region A's leadership is better than region B's, Maybe you don't need training of the workers. Maybe you need something happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. 
And and we look at I you know I, I look at measurement as a whole set of hypotheses. Mm. What we're doing is testing our hypotheses. I believe that this training will cause this and this to happen. Let's mm. go test it. And you talked about um, making it iterative. And one of the beautiful things about doing this alignment is you get your leading indicators, your number of breaths, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing before you get your your swim time. Um, we did one on a, a product launch. This is back in automotive for a new vehicle. Mm. And the product launch had had web training and live training, and it was supported by a chat bot because they recognized that a once and done on product knowledge probably isn't going to ca- uh, create lasting memory. It's not going to be embedded in long-term memory. So they said, let's do a chat bot. And mm. so after the live training, we asked the trainers to, to introduce and promote the chat bot. And we wanted to see if the people that use the chatbot did better in vehicle sales than the people that just got the regular training. So can we say chatbots are great? We expected a, a high percentage of learners to, to sign up for the chatbot. 18% signed up. Mm. And this was very sad <laughs> they were very and, and and so do you say chatbots don't work well we had a measurement plan for this so we were tracking this week by week to see what was going on and we knew what was happening for each trainer and we saw that certain trainers were getting a high percentage of their students signing up and others were getting zero mm-hmm. So we went back to the trainers and said how are you you know is is the technology difficult is it the technology problem Nope, that wasn't the problem. Well, how are you promoting it? We had, we found that the top three trainers accounted for like 68, 70% of all the signups. We wanted to know what they were doing. They said, well, you know, we pulled out, we asked everybody to pull out their phone at the end of training and we're going to take a little quiz, which was how the chatbot opened with a couple of product knowledge questions. And the trainer had everybody pull out their phone, text the number in. So now they got it in their phone Mm -hmm. and they answered the quiz. And those people were in because they were already playing with the chat bot with the trainer. We asked the people that got zero participants. What did they do? Oh, well, I sent a flyer to the sales manager the day after training. Mm -hmm. Well, most managers aren't looking for things to do in their inbox like that. And we realized it had nothing to do with the chatbot. It had everything to do on us mm. and how we asked the trainers to promote it. We simply said, we gave them a flyer and we said, promote the chatbot. They on their own figured out what promote meant mm. and what a lesson that was for us in change management. Yeah. That If you want them to promote, you say promote it by having them pull out their phones, text in, do the first couple of questions together. Mm-hmm. And so that was measurement to improve early, early. So we could nip it in the bud, fix it within a couple of weeks and then have the have the program roll out more successfully. Mm. Yeah, good example. Um, and I want to, uh, Bonnie, um, when it comes to, to uh, planning for and, and measuring impact, uh, when does this work best and, and perhaps when does it not? It works easiest when you've got performance measures at the individual level, like salespeople that have individual metrics of calls made and and sales made, or at a call center level where you've got 
metrics by CSR. Mm. So when you have individual performance metrics for somebody who's delivering and outputs that are counted by the company, that's absolutely the easiest. And that's mm. where I'd recommend somebody starts on their measurement journey into impact is mm. where it's a little easier. Where it's harder is where it gets a little squishier, like the leadership development. Um, but there's, there's a great book called um, How to Measure Anything. Yeah. Finding the value of intangibles in business. I don't know if you've heard of it, Douglas Hubbard. It is a great read, at least the first three quarters. Then he gets into all kinds of Monte Carlo uh, simulations and, and techie talk. Mm. But he says that you, you can, it's out there. All you have to do is figure out what, you know, focus on performance. What are people supposed to be able to do? Yeah. What outputs are they supposed to be able to generate? Uh, and what can you see? And he just opens up your mind to measuring squishy stuff because yes, you can. And he's an economist. He doesn't come out of training. Yeah. What, what I like about that. And again, you know, what comes out of you, you can, you, you're here, here. I, I spend a lot of time with Guy Wallace. <laughs> we, we run a series every year, but so he's a, he shared a, a great phrase with me last year uh, that came from one of his mentors. Uh, he said that uh, soft skills are only soft skills out of context. Uh, so, so when it comes to leadership development, um it's 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 largely a nebulous term because it's it's seen as a uh the, the, the higher you go up for it to be a discipline the the far the further away it is from what people actually do and uh, so i interpret that as that you'll provide development for people when they recognize themselves or it's brought to their attention that they're not doing something that they're expected to do uh, and if they're not achieving something or doing something address that but otherwise but if you take it up to uh, uh aggregate these things up to uh, an, you know, a nebulous term like leadership then you then, then we, we're likely to be plucking topics into a program delivering it for the greater good and then wondering whether the greater good has been achieved uh, and i think that that far too many programs in organizations uh isolate disciplines like leadership, presentation skills, communication, rather than provide a map of the territory, which is their organization, and then either define or share what it is that successful people are already doing. And a lot of the time, I think that uh, that this happens, uh, that, uh, that somebody's brought into an organization uh, to, to inject new life, new blood, uh, perhaps to, to be a bit of an antagonist. Uh, but they're not given a map of the territory. They're told almost to define the, the, new, the territory themselves. But there are there are practices and norms that already exist. Uh, there are expected and rewarded behaviors and they're a way of getting support for your ideas. And sometimes these people can be extricated from from peer groups for not understanding the way that things should be done. And after all, leadership is leading from where people are. It's not running off into the distance and saying, hey, come over here that's that's renegade that's that's not leadership <laughs> at all so i wonder again you know you, from your example that uh, that if you can talk about what it is that people are accountable for and have a conversation with them or their line managers about what they're accountable for and the way they're expected to perform then we can talk about their kpis 
from a, uh, a, a how to work or what to achieve perspective and then be laser focused on helping them to achieve that because all of this that we've discussed so far uh, could be could be seen as much harder than implementing a curriculum or filling a platform full of content making a load of noise about it and then filling classes and and platforms full of people uh, after the content where yeah, and then and then thinking well it's it's too hard to measure all of that whereas really if you start with the actual problems that that um, the critical points of failure, as I like to call them, in any given organization, which are the key reasons why your organization or parts of your organization aren't achieving what it what what people within it are expected to achieve, with the right analysis of what of the performance, then you can move at pace uh, in order to both analyze and address. But in the analysis, as we've been talking here, you'll be finding the metrics that matter, those KPIs that those individuals or cohorts are responsible for uh, in order to uh, to know that that any investment of our time, uh, money and effort will is, is actually designed to make an impact rather than uh, designed uh, to to, I don't know, uh, provide learning. And, you know, we're, there's all this talk about being learner centric. And mm. could we not be more learner centric if we told them what we expected them to do yeah. and what good look like? If we could articulate it for our learners. So what if they came to leadership training, they knew what it would look like when they go back on the job. You know, Yogi Berra's got a great one. I love his quote. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can see when you look. Yeah. So, you know, what would a good leader look like? Oh, look, they're having one-on-ones. Mm. Can you count one-on-ones? You could. It's observable. It's measurable. Mm-hmm. And 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 this sort of thing. And are there people getting promoted? Mm. And 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 you got to find those things. But when we I the, the, this alignment tool that I've been taught that we, you know, we were talking about alignment. I I create something called a measurement map. That's what I call my alignment. That's my logic model. Mm. And we have clients that actually show the learner the measurement map. Hmm. so that they can see coming out of this training, you're supposed to go do this and we can measure that. And when you do that, this will happen and talk about what gets met. Uh, managed gets measured, or what gets measured gets managed. It does, it works. Hmm. And then they know why they're in training and they know yeah. what's expected when they get out. Yeah. That's so it's right. all about setting expectations for the learner too. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, Bonnie, could you give us a, a real example of when and how you've employed your approach to measuring business impact? Yeah, I'll give a, I'll give a, a a sales one. It's easy to to track with because we we're familiar with with sales, and um, so we build a measurement map. And this is this I, I'm going to go back to automotive because everybody's probably familiar with car sales, mm-hmm. and uh, after this. Uh, Ride and drive. They were the organization was investing in a ride and drive event where the salespeople get to go to uh, race tracks and drive the cars, and they build mud holes for trucks to go in and and build piles of rock and stuff for trucks to climb over. So they get the feel of their products versus the competitors. Very mm-hmm. expensive, and this 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 always gets a five out of five on that level one because mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah. Gets a five out of five on expensive too, <laughs> <laughs> but is it worth it? They want, is it really worth it? And so we set it up as an observational study, you know, test and control groups because not everybody can go. And we looked at sales before and sales after, and 
by and large, it, it we, we couldn't quite tell what was going on. So we started segmenting the data by prior performance. And this is really important to know what somebody's prior performance is because there's a lot of selection bias going on in training. Oh, David's good. He deserves to go to training and, mm-hmm. and go to Washington for the week. <laughs> so who gets chosen for training is what we call selection bias if there's if a high propensity of better performers go. So you always want to segment based on prior performance. So we we broke the group into three, the low, average, and high performers, and saw, oh, surprise, that after the training, the people that saw the greatest lift in sales were the average and low performers. The high performers actually saw a dip in sales because they're so productive that the time away from the dealership took away sales from them. Right. But the company said, well, we wanted this also to be kind of a retention strategy. We wanted to keep these people. So if we make them happy, they'll stay because we want our high performers to stay. But what they learned is they should not target high performers for this event. If they really are after improving sales, they should make sure that they provide these opportunities to their lower performers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a yeah, that is a, uh, a useful um, case study there. Um, and so as we look to, to wrap up, Bonnie, uh, what advice would you give to L&D professionals who are just starting out in this approach? Get started. <laughs> get, get with your business partners and build out one of these logic models, one of these maps, and have that performance consulting conversation about what is the business problem we're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go? What's your strategic goal there? And what's the evidence of the problem and what would good look like? And do that so you you have these observable, measurable behaviors that you're looking for. Mm. And then start collecting the data mm-hmm. and dig in. And you know, you you don't have to have a statistician to get started. No. I mean, if you want to get very, very fancy and, and get high degrees of uh levels of confidence and this sort of thing, you're gonna want somebody with some of those skills, but you can get started with Excel. Yeah, that's right. Collect the data. Plot it out. If it's trending, you know, is it causal? You're going to have to make that causal argument, but you're going to get familiar with what's going on. And if you just segment it by your prior performance, segment it by those other factors, segment it by region A versus B, whatever somebody says, that's what's the difference. That's driving it, not your training. Mm -hmm. Segment your data to prove them wrong. Set it up as a bunch of hypotheses. Get the data and have fun with it. Yeah, brilliant. Stay I, curious. Stay curious. Keep asking questions of it. Uh, but you, you've, you've, you've hit on something there. A lot of learning people consider themselves people, people, and scared of the data. But uh, but there are ways. Uh, I'm sure you've got to, you've got questions uh, to ask. I mean, great ones to, that I've asked stakeholders. When the, a lot of the time they're asked for training. So uh, so uh, a, a, a good rule of thumb is to ignore the word training and just imagine they've just asked for help. Uh, you know, find out what it is that they specifically want help with. Don't talk about the training. Don't say no, but don't talk about the training. Ask about what what the help's actually required, uh, and then understand. And I think this is the, the the killer question: understand what the consequences are of things not working the way you want. Uh, so so, and then you're heading towards the data because when they say to you oh, you know, we're not hitting our targets or our service level agreements are down uh, or customer satisfaction isn't where where we need to be or we've got good people leaving. Those, that's the data. The next question should be, oh my goodness, that sounds awful. Could you show me? 
But yeah, and then your antenna, your antennas are going up because that's data. That's data. That's what that's matters it. for you. That's it. Yeah, you're getting into the consequences rather than the order, and then. Uh, then you know you can you'll both be informed about not just what the problem is and the consequences but who is responsible as well and that stops all these silly let's get everybody in the company on this so-and-so training because the big boss has just got an email that shows that something's not working both with one person and wants to snuff it out across the uh, the entire organization so so yeah so so that data about consequences helps isolate the cohort and then if you're going to run a small experiment it's Go where the pain is, go where the damage is being done and then see if you can fix a real problem. Uh, you understand then what ground zero is, uh, your, your, your starting pain point, And then everything you do should be having a positive impact on on that number. Absolutely. And, and you know, you go in training, I, I go in solution agnostic as a performance mm -hmm. consultant. You totally. need to be solution agnostic. If the client wants to call it training. OK, if yeah. it turns out to be a job aid or a communication piece or a, who knows what it could turn into let let them call it whatever they want you mm. you just want the solution that's going to drive the results fabulous uh and bonnie uh my, my final question then is uh, uh if people like what they hear and they'd like to uh, to follow your work or connect how best can they do so i am on linkedin bonnie beresford and i'd be happy to talk with anybody who who is interested in learning more about measurement Wonderful. We'll put some. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but Bonnie, all's left for me to say is thank you very much for coming back and being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. David, always engaging chatting with you. Thank you so much. As we discussed, business impact can be an elusive goal for L and D, but it needn't be. Planning for impact at the start is a mindset shift and a commitment to results and not just delivery. We increase our credibility and our organizational currency by planning for impact, whether we achieve it completely or not. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and thousands of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect again. You'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>